more than a name study. We're looking at no name in battle. <clears throat> no name in battle. First Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel 13. I'll be looking at verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> First Samuel chapter 13. Verse 1 says, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah and uh, of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. <clears throat> and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. <coughs> and all Israel heard say that Paul had smitten a garrison of Philistines, and that Israel also was had also was had in abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul in Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in the multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. Well, that'll kind of get us started in our uh, looking at no name in battle. One of the reasons that God records so many battles in the Old Testament is because in the New Testament it reminds us of our constant battle that we have, uh, a spiritual battle. Uh, the Old Testament gives us very vivid pictures of what the battle really looks like. We have a spiritual enemy, and although we cannot see him, uh, he is nevertheless powerful and very effective in warfare. Ephesians chapter uh, 6 and verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our enemy is always seeking uh, to uh, maim and destroy us. 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You see, the battle begins the moment we get saved. And then it continues and even intensifies throughout our Christian journey. Every time you take a step of obedience to the Lord, every time you faithfully share your faith with others, every time you yield to God in some area of your life, the devil is going to draw a target on you and he's going to try to defeat you. But our Savior is always with us, giving us life and defeating the enemy who wants to destroy us. John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and they might have it more abundantly. Uh, we're going to see that our battles are never greater than God's omnipotence. Because this powerful God lives in us and so... No war is unwinnable. We may think we're defeated at times, but we must realize that God is with us. 
In 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So notice with me, first of all, the obstacle. The obstacle. Often in our spiritual battles, the resistance seems strong, and our resources are weak. And that was uh, uh, the case here in 1 Samuel 13. The Israelite army was small while opposing the Philistine army. The Philistine army was overwhelming, and it was powerful. So we notice, first of all, a powerful adversary. Uh, King Saul was the leader of the Israelites at this time. And the Bible describes him as a physically commanding uh, presence. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, in verse 2, it says, And he had a son whose name was Saul, and a choice young man, and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Saul was trained to fight battles such as these. And under his leadership, an army of a, a thousand or 3,000 men assembled. No doubt Saul had trained them in warfare, and in some ways they appeared to be a formidable group of soldiers. But looking over to the other side, however, we see a problem. There were a whole lot more and more highly trained soldiers in the, in the Philistines. The Philistines had more than the Israelites. We read there in verse 5, the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude, and they came up and pitched at Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. So here we see the odds are stacked against God's people. It would seem that there would be no human way that they could defeat this enemy. And we should not be surprised when we find ourselves in the minority in this world. Ever felt like you were in the minority as a Christian? Well, we almost feel that almost every day, don't we? Uh, but we should not be surprised when we find ourselves in the minority. Jesus told us there wouldn't be many who followed him. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Enter ye the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So it's no surprise that we are in the minority. And we have a powerful adversary. Notice not only a powerful adversary, but a pathetic army. A pathetic army. The further you read in this account, uh, it's not the force of the Philistines that stands out so much as the frailty of God's people. They were, for all practical purposes, what we would call dysfunctional. Notice, first of all, there were those that were fearful. Look at verse 6. And the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and thickets and rocks and in the high places and in pits, and some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. 
They were fearful. You know, Satan loves to prey on our fears. He'll use fears in our lives to, to get us to uh, be afraid of serving the Lord. It might be the fear of family. It might be the fear of friends or uh, fear of finances that intimidates us from moving forward in victory. But fear is never of God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Well, there were not only the fearful here, but secondly, the flabby. Some were fearful, but Saul and those with him were weak, lacking strength, lacking determination. You go over to chapter 14 and look at verse 2. It says, And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people that were with him were about 600 men. So in the middle of this battle, the commander-in-chief is sitting under a tree with 600 of his soldiers. God didn't save us to sit and soak and sour. He saved us to stand, to strive, and to serve. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. So these, were, uh, these soldiers, these people that were with Saul, were fearful, they were flabby, they were just sitting around, they weren't doing anything. And then thirdly, there were those who were fickle. Again in chapter 14, look at verse 21. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to uh, be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Some of the army decided to defect and go over to the Philistine side when they saw that they were outnumbered. But now as God begins to win the battle of, uh, for Israel, they're going to jump back over to the winning side. You know, which side are you on? You might uh, be wondering uh, if someone was singing, who is on the Lord's side? Well, God's people are not to waffle between two masters, serving uh, Satan one day and serving the Lord. That doesn't work very well, does it? And whether we're winning or losing, we are admonished to abound in the Lord's work. What's our memory verse for this week? First, Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So you have fearful, flabby, and fickle. What a horrible condition for soldiers in the army of God who had been promised a victory if they would just simply follow the Lord. So here you have the obstacle. Secondly, we see the opportunity. Sometimes the obstacles in our lives are just mere inconveniences. Sometimes they're insurmountable hurdles. Sometimes they're deep, deep trials. But whatever the case, the obstacle is an opportunity. There's a fellow by the name of Henry Kaiser known as the father of American shipbuilding. 
He said, problems are opportunities in work clothes. Problems are opportunities in work clothes. Obstacles in our lives provide opportunities for God to show his miraculous power. Notice, first of all, an, an impressive leadership. Israel needed a leader who would take action, one that didn't act from a place of fearfulness or flabbiness or fickleness. And that leader showed up in Saul's son. Again in 1 Samuel 14, look at verse 4, and it says, And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over into the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina, Ike, forefront of, of one was situated northward against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be of the Lord will work with us, and there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Saul's son, Jonathan, responded and he acted. Now leadership is not about position. Leadership is about action. And like David who saw a giant, and although he wasn't a titled leader, he wasn't a captain, or he wasn't a general, he wasn't, he was a nobody. But he took action. He decided to do something about, instead of hiding like the others around him were doing. And Jonathan saw the enemy and determined to act and see what God would do. So there was an, an impressive, an impressive uh, uh, leadership. Secondly, an important lesson. Jonathan knew that God isn't limited by our lack of numbers or weapons or abilities. In verse 6, it said there in 1 Samuel 14, It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. You know, God actually loves being the underdog. I don't know about you, sometimes I like to, to cheer for the underdog. You know, when there's two teams that uh, I couldn't care less if they won, whoever won, if I wasn't uh, uh, cheering for one team, you know, I, I just would like to go the underdog. The guy that doesn't, that hasn't, or the team that hasn't done very well. Well, God actually loves being the underdog. His strength is shown through our weakness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You know, if we could overcome every enemy in our lives, in our own strength, well, then we should right, rightfully take the credit. But when God does what only God can do, 
It's God alone who receives the honor and the glory. And then God gives us the victory. He gets the glory, but he gives us the victory. And we need to remember to acknowledge and praise him. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 and 18. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but the Lord commendeth. So we have the obstacle, we have the opportunity, and thirdly, with the obedience. Jonathan took leadership and trusted that God should deliver them, but he didn't do it alone. And we now come to our unnamed person. You were wondering when we were going to get to the unnamed, because we've heard of Saul, we've heard of Jonathan. We've given them names, right? All right, what about the unnamed person? Notice, first of all, a humble following. Out of 3,000 men, only two were willing to fight the battle. One of them is unknown to us by name. The unnamed armor bearer followed his leader, Jonathan. We don't know his name. It's not given to us in verse Samuel 14, verse 7. Notice it says, And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee. Behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Are you following the leadership God has placed in your life? Children, are you obeying your parents? Wives, are you following your husband? Church members, are you following your pastor? Hebrews thirteen seven says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Now, are human leaders perfect? Of course not. Are they to be worshipped? Absolutely not. Only God is perfect, and only God is worthy of our worship. But we are wise to follow with humility the God-ordained leadership in our lives that he's provided for us. So we have a humble following, but then an honorable faith. Once this unnamed armor bearer committed himself to follow Jonathan, I'm sure his next question was, Sir, what are we going to do? When he heard the strategy explained, he may have had some second thoughts, but we're not told about those second thoughts in the Bible. In verse 8, chapter 14, it says, Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. Jonathan said, We're going to stand up, and we're going to let them see us. No weapons, no reinforcements arriving in any direction, no no super intel behind enemy lines. We're just going to stand up. And then Jonathan explained to his armor bearer how they would respond to either of two reactions that the Philistines might have upon seeing them. Look at verse 9 and 10. If they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our, our hand, and this shall be a sign unto us. This is faith in action. These two men really have no plan B. They only had God's perfect will. And there are a thousand ways to please God, but none of them is ever done without faith. Hebrews 11:6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. 
For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now I'm not going to hold up Albert Einstein as a great spiritual example this evening. But uh, one day he was traveling from Princeton on a train, and when the conductor came down the aisle punching tickets, Einstein reached into his vest pocket and he said, I can't find my ticket. So he reached into his trouser pockets. Wasn't there. He looked into his briefcase. He still couldn't find his ticket. He looked at the, in the seat behind, uh, next to him. It wasn't there either. And the conductor kindly said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket, so don't worry about it. The conductor then continued on his way, punching tickets. And just before he went to the next car, he turned around and saw the great scientist on his hands and knees looking under his seat for his ticket. The, the conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are, no problem. You don't need a ticket. Einstein said, young man, I too know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. You know, God always knows where he's leading us. And we may know who we are, but do we know where we're going? But God will never lead us in the wrong direction. I wonder, are you willing to fully trust God as Jonathan's armor bearer trusted Jonathan to lead you in the battles of life? There's a humble following, an honorable faith, but then a heavenly favor. God always honors faith and trust in him, always. And included in his favor for trusting are peace and strength. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stated on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, and in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Now watch as this amazing trust unfolds into an unbelievable story. Look at verse 11. Chapter 14, verse 11, And both of them discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was a trembling in the host, in the field, among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers. They all trembled, and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. The Lord did a work for them, just as Jonathan had hoped back in verse 6. 
Jonathan and this unnamed armor bearer were able to kill 20 Philistines, but the earthquake that followed, that confused the enemy in such a way that they would annihilate each other. And uh, could, that could only be brought on by God. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Was it lonely for Jonathan and his armor bearer to serve God alone against such a powerful enemy? Perhaps. But you know what? That's not the end of the story. With these two men, Jonathan and his unnamed armor bearer, stepping out by faith and through God, saw a great victory. Notice who starts coming back. The flabby came back. Look at verse 20. It says, and Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves. They came to battle. The fickle came back to battle. Verse 21. In verse 21, uh, it says there that likewise all the men of Israel which had hid themselves in the Mount of Ephraim when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after the battle. And then the fearful also returned, returned to the battle. Verse 22. Likewise, all the men, uh, which, uh, did I read the wrong one? I read verse 22 before. And verse 21 was the uh, fickle. Moreover, the Hebrews that were the Philistines before that time, which went up with them unto the camp from the country round about. See, they were uh, changing sides. They were thought, well, we're going to be on the winning side. And so we're going to go with the Philistines. Well, now they come back. And then the fearful come back in verse 22. No one today knows the name of the armor bearer of Jonathan. But we know the result of his faith. Thousands joined the battle for the Lord. No matter who we are or how well or how little we are known, we have influence that God can use. Whose faith will become stronger because of yours? came across a little poem that says, My life should, shall touch a dozen lives before this day is done. Leave countless marks for good or ill, ere sets the evening sun. This is the wish I always wish, the prayer I always pray. Lord, may my life help others' lives it touches by the way. Too often in life we focus on obstacles rather than opportunities. Uh, when we see our problems as big, our Lord will appear small. But when we view our God as big, our problems will appear small. God has never met his match. And he's looking for ways to show himself strong to his people. In Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Jonathan's unnamed armor bearer allowed God to show himself strong. I wonder, is, are we willing to do that tonight? God's looking for someone. He's looking for someone who's not fearful, who's not flabby, who's not fickle, who's willing to get in the battle and trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for this account of Jonathan and his uh, armor bearer, whose we don't know his name, but you did, and you do, even 
now. But we thank you, Lord, that he uh, was willing to follow Jonathan and do battle in, uh, for your honor and for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this lesson. Bless it to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.